Hello and welcome back this week. It's March the 12th. Thank you all for listening. It's kind of an interesting, Brent. We were looking at some of the feedback and look at some of the analytics. I think there are more people listening to this as a podcast than actually watching the video or reading the transcript. Appreciate everyone tagging in and following along. We didn't really anticipate the podcast to be that popular, but I think it's getting quite big. So we have a little bit of a a following here through the podcast that we didn't anticipate. So of course, thank you to all the supporters of AEI Premium for making this possible. Sometimes we recap the things that we've wrote about. And this week, we're going to flip the script a little bit. And we're going to talk about some things that we're thinking about and that we're going to do some work on. We have three things on the list. So I'll let you kick off with whichever one you think uh, you want to tackle first. Okay. I'll start with the uh, carbon. Carbon seems to be on everybody's mind, right? Carbon policy. And I just saw article this morning, you know, people testifying about farmers getting paid for carbon sequestration and whatnot. And I just have flashbacks to the early 2000s when I was at Cornell, late 2000s and doing all that work on greenhouse gas emissions. And we were focused on, I was focused on anaerobic digestion. And now, so I start to see people talk about, well, we pay farmers for no-till. And, and I just remember back to, there's some real important principles. If you really want to pay people to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, there, well, there's multiple ways to get at it. One is just tax the vendor, tax fossil fuels, and you people would use less of them. The other way is to pay people to do things that offset it. Some of the principles that used to come up a lot were things like permanent. So an offset that can't be undone, like when you burn up methane in anaerobic digester, which has a high global warming potential, you convert it to carbon, which has CO2, carbon dioxide, has a lower global warming potential. You can't undo that. You You can't go out and make the methane back again. So it's permanent. So it's very attractive. Things like no-till are much less permanent. The other thing was this kind of idea of additionality. So if you're going to pay people to do something, you want them to, you want to pay them to do something that's extra that they're not doing in the ordinary course of business. So if something is a standard accepted practice, you don't really want to pay people to do that. You think they would just do it out of their own business interest. And again, you know, you think about a thing like no-till, that seems to be in that category. It doesn't score very well on additionality because a lot of people are doing it already. And the idea is you don't want to just pay the people who aren't doing it. I mean, that's kind of like me going out in my front yard with a chainsaw and threatening to cut down a tree if you don't pay me. I haven't cut down this tree yet, but if you don't pay me, I'm going to cut it down. Well, that that's kind of silly. We don't want to do that either. And then the, the other principle I think is really important to remember is this idea of measurability. And that is or measure, ability to measure it. And things like soil carbon quite difficult to measure. I mean, it's not something that's super easy to do. So I think as you brace for this onslaught of discussion about it, keep those principles in the back of your mind to help you understand and navigate how things are evolving the way they might evolve. And then the other thing I keep coming back to is carbon policy is going to be something that's more like, you know, do we just not worry about measurability and we just say, well, these processes are good and we're going to pay people to use these processes. And that's more akin to like organic production, right? It's, it's hard to measure the organic output, but there's a process people follow to get certified. So 
some different things to think about. We'll do some writing on that in the platform here in the coming weeks. Brent, I'll just add, while I was making some notes here, unintended consequences. That's the other principle that I would add to this is, do we build a game that all of a sudden changes behavior in a way that we didn't anticipate? And so, you know, there are a lot of ways unintended consequences could creep up. And one of the things that you've shared is the carbon market, if we pursue this path, is huge. And it could be bigger than entire sectors of the ag economy. I don't want to go on too far on them, but you might be more valuable to plant your entire... If you're going to get paid to no-till, pick whatever number you want to get paid, right? For that number. How much more would you have to get paid just to put the whole thing to grass? Like, so is is that the consequence? Because this carbon market could be huge and frankly, not really impacted by tens of millions of of tons of carbon credits coming into it, which ag might be able to satisfy. So I think we have to think about the carbon market could be a lot bigger than what we think about as terms of the ag market. And that could have some complicated challenges just lots and lots of complications i mean neither the supply nor the demand curves are known at this point and and so that creates a huge amount of uncertainty so you know i think take everything with a grain of salt right now be an educated consumer of of this i'm going to jump in and i'll take inflation the number of conversations i've had about inflation over the last few years has just the last few weeks, I'm sorry. If you think the last few years, 80% of them happened in the last two months, right? Like that's the the 80-20 principle sort of playing out here. It also reminds me of something we would talk a lot about with big data from five, 10 years ago was everyone's talking about it. Everyone's worried about it. Everyone's making decisions about, you know, in light of it. It's in every ag media article from why you should change your investment portfolio, why you should or shouldn't be selling grain. But I don't think anyone actually knows what they're talking about. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I just think that we're using it very vaguely. We're using that term very vaguely. We're not, we're ships in the night as we're having this conversation. What does inflation really mean? So I guess there's two things that principles that I'll share. One of them is what's the magnitude? Are we talking about three, four, 5% inflation? That seems like it's relatively likely, especially at the 3%, because the Fed says they're not going to worry about inflation until we see 3%, which is kind of this, we're not going to worry about inflation until we see the wide eyes of it, right? They want to see evidence of it. And 3% to them is sort of this evidence of it. But 3 4 5% inflation would be significantly higher than maybe what we've seen in, in recent history, right? If you think about the last 20 years, how many times have we seen that? It could be a, a relatively rare event. The other end of that spectrum is, I think, when we throw out the term maybe significant inflation, hyperinflation, people start thinking double digits. And so it's also one of these terms where your bias is showing, right? So someone can say something like, oh, I'm really concerned about the outlook of the economy in light of inflation. That statement tells you nothing, but your bias will step in and you will start to weave uh, what you think I meant by your own biases of inflation. And with that, I think when we think inflation and worried about inflation, we go back to the 1970s or late 70s. And that's a very different inflationary environment. And so I think that 5% inflation could start to have impacts, but we're sort of underappreciating what the impact of 5% inflation might be, but we might be overstating the probability double-digit inflation, which would be very difficult, but that's a really tall order. The second thing is timelines. And Brent, you can jump in at any point, but timeliness, I think we're thinking about inflation in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months. But in reality, 
if you're really thinking about this, we might be looking at a decade of situations. So 5% inflation persisting for a decade could have huge implications. And I don't think that we've thought about that. And if there is a genie that's been let out of a bottle in terms of inflation concerns, it's probably going to be a longer term. It's going to be a long duration problem. It's not going to be a six month or 12 month problem. So I think we're making six and 12 month decisions on something that we might not be able to see in the data for that long. Yeah, I think you've hit all the right points. I mean, at the end of the day, when you hear the term inflation, you should always be thinking, well, how much and how long? Use that to sharpen your thinking. Is this person being specific enough that I can make a statement? Just saying inflation is, doesn't tell you much. I'm guessing if you wrote an article titled Inflation in Agriculture in 2021, it would have a ton of clicks, right? Like, I think that is just, it's a sensational idea. And if you added high inflation in ag in 2021, you get even more clicks. And I think that you have to realize is that this is a very sensational topic, similar to carbon, right? But it's sort of the opposite end of the, the pendulum swing, right? One of them is a risk and one of them is an opportunity. And we're sort of chasing both of those. Again, it's one of those things very complex and lends itself to being run with with simple ideas or solutions. And so people kind of fill in the gaps from there. And I'll give you one example, Brent. They're talking about the $15 minimum hour wage in this last stimulus. And I saw so many articles talking about that implications of, of inflation coming from that. And it's just... I'm not saying that's a right or wrong conclusion, but there was just a lot of narrative about that. And so to your idea, you can find a reason that almost anything could cause inflation today, right? You can say X, Y, and Z occur because of inflation or X, Y, and Z is going to cause inflation. It's a very interesting time framework. The, the problem and the, I guess the risk in the, what's that, the consequences and the, <laughs> everything is, is from inflation. The consequences are inflation or the outcomes are inflation. It's just interesting how the dialogue has changed so rapidly. Very interesting to see how that's that's happened. So Brent, number three. I'm going to go with ethanol. Yes. Okay. I was forgetting so, what three was because you brought well, it up I've earlier. Got, I've got another one in my in my head that I, we could talk about. We'll probably save it. Uh, okay. Ethanol. I've had numerous people come up to me in the last month and writing ethanol's obituary, basically as if it will be gone within 12 months uh, or even two years. And I think we have to be super careful about really thinking that through. Yes, ethanol has headwinds, but to think that that's going to go significantly away in the near future, I think is probably not right for a variety of reasons. One, the way the law is written, I don't think would allow for that unless the EPA would just grant huge numbers of exemptions. So you have to blend so much of it. The other thing is I think there are always going to be export markets and other things. And so to some extent, what's the cost of producing it uh, as an energy source? And we have to think, you know, these are huge, huge markets, energy markets. Yes, we can talk about them changing rapidly, but they don't change overnight. Not every car is going to be electric in the next five years. I was telling somebody the other day, well, I bought a diesel pickup this year, and I'm not worried about it having a zero salvage value in five years. I think some of the ethanol's demise is probably overstated. And I think it's another example of this idea that you've, you've reminded me a lot, Brent, of is we typically overestimate 
what can occur in the short time frame, in the short run. Right. But we underestimate what can occur in the long run. And so I think right now we're thinking about how fast these batteries, electric vehicles might displace or regulations might displace ethanol. But I think the other thing that we're missing is how much the energy market might grow over the next right. decade or two decades. Uh, and Brent, one of the things that you've challenged my thinking on is, you know, we use about 5 billion bushels of corn today uh, for ethanol. What's that number going to be in 2030 or 2040? And, you know, it's worth noting if it stays at 5 billion, it's still going to be a, it's going to be a shrinking share. And I think that's the uncomfortable part about this is ethanol has been a huge source of additional usage, a huge source of additional demand. And I think that none of us are saying it's going to be a new source of demand in the future, but just because it's not going to be a new source doesn't mean it's going to zero. It could be this steady state, this kind of unexciting four and a half to 5 billion bushels of corn every year for several decades wouldn't create a lot of excitement or a lot of headlines or a lot of industry meetings about, but it's still going to be a different reality than going to zero, which is sort of, it seems like we want to say it's either going to be 5 billion or zero. And I don't know that, or it's either growing or zero, uh, dead or alive. And that's probably not the set of outcomes. So again, you know, use your critical thinking, which is, I think that's one of the benefits of the site and, and the premium site is just the content and the articles are, uh, Tend, I, I'm biased, but I think they tend to be a little bit unique, and uh, we try and really think a little bit and not just create clickbait articles because we don't have to there. All these are topics you're going to see us thinking about, writing about, putting forecast network questions together over the next quarter. It's been a lot of fun to think about these, and we're going to get – because we're teasing you what's going to be coming up in the next quarter. So stay tuned, and we're going to keep the conversation going. In the meantime, thanks for joining us. Stay curious, and we'll catch you all next week. Thanks. Thanks.